It's another one of those warm, sunny afternoons, one of those that reminds you of all of the fun that can be had, the joy that can be felt, something that I always thought was a purpose behind disco music, something that had already passed its prime by the time I was born, but continued to resonate in so many things I would come across as I grew older. And as I did, I became more connected to disco music than I ever imagined I would have, which is why it was such a delight for me to discover that Jonathan Stevenson had written and lettered a book called The Disco Nuts, drawn and colored by Luke Balmer Kemp, and that they were both willing to sit down and talk with me about it for an episode of Storytelling with Seth. I could just give away all of my favorite gems for that moment, or I could get out of the way and allow you to enjoy this great conversation with two amazing creators and a story and characters that I simply could not get enough of. So my first thing I knew about disco was I thought it was awesome and hilarious. And I've only seen like at a, as a child clips of like Travolta, you know, from the legendary Saturday Night Fever. And I hated it when my parents would argue. Absolutely hated it. So I would do my own staying alive. Whenever they would start <laughs> arguing, I would get in front of them and just start discoing. Like, isn't this the cutest thing you've ever seen? Like, <laughs> it, am I doing it right? You know, and that would be the cue to like, okay, we're driving the kid nuts. Like, let's pause for a minute, realize what's going on. And yeah. it worked to a point. And then maybe I just stopped being cute or maybe they developed a tolerance. But <laughs> early on, I knew that disco could stop fighting in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like it as I was thinking, I was like, we're going to hit record now because I feel that could be a really lovely uh, segue into this idea about how many different ways you can use disco, where you can take it and where specifically you guys have uh, taken it with disco knots. But first, let's introduce who we have in, uh, you know, anything you want to say about yourself before we get started uh, on the whole disco knots project. Jonathan, you just hopped on. So, you know. Okay, so uh, yeah, I, I, I've written Disconauts, which uh, Luke and I are currently in the midst of trying to kickstart. Um, since uh, 2017, I've been a comics editor. I uh, started off at Titan, where I took over their um, translated comics uh, imprint, Statics Press, and I was in charge of that for a while. I've also edited um, Doctor Who and Tank Girl. Um, there's a lot of licensed stuff, like um, if you know the, the, the video game Wolfenstein, um, I worked on the comic for that. Um, yeah, and then now I'm, I'm kind of freelancing here and there. I'm currently doing a little bit of, uh, of work for Humanoids. Um, yeah, and that's, that's pretty much me. Nice. And Luke? Yeah, so this is one of the rare occasions that Jonathan lets me out of my art dungeon when working on Disco Nauts. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm shackle-free, which is nice. So, yeah, I, I did the art and the colouring for it. Um, I'm, I actually work by day as an architectural visualiser. So as you can imagine, it's very like, centric and very focused on, on certain points and very kind of rules and regulations. So when I do my art and my freelance stuff, I like to make it as, as free and as wacky as possible. Um, and I've been doing that since about 2015. Right. No, no, no big titles to my name just yet, but you know, we're hoping. We live in hope. Hey, uh, who knows just how big Disco Nuts could be? So you know, 
this could be the one where we're like, hey man, this this is where we got Luke's name out there. Also, I'm gonna I'm gonna step in there with uh, Luke's being quite a. Uh, self-deprecating there we go but, uh, <laughs> but he, he was like a, a, a vital part in cleaning up um pages like restoring art pages for a um a flash golden um reprint of the original newspaper strips so that's you know <laughs> accept credit where it's due my friend Luke, I only spent a certain amount of time in journalism, and I'm not sure how great I was at it, but that's what I think they call burying the lead, my friend. So <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say, yeah, Jonathan, at any other point he decides he wants to sort of skip around or veer, I, I want you to feel comfortable just sort of going, yeah, hey, bub, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and straighten, <laughs> straighten out that confusion there. Come on now, Luke, Flash Gordon, like, uh, okay, just because it, it's there. How'd you get into, you know, that opportunity? And did you do something, catch somebody's eye? Was there a good bribe? How did that one work out? So 2015, I, um, I, I studied in Savannah in Georgia at SCAD, uh, Savannah College of Art and Design. So I had a bit of a, a quarter life crisis at 25. Uh, yeah. And thought, what, what am I going to do with my life? Um, I like to draw, but I'm in, I'm in marketing. I'm behind a desk. So I decided to do that. And um, I just kind of dropped everything and went out to, to the U.S., came back and then I saw, I knew Titan, everyone in the UK kind of knows Titan as being the comics kind of hub for, for, for UK. And I saw online they were looking for a, an, um, it was an art intern, an artist intern. And I was like, that's right on my street. So I just applied with my, my CV, got in. And, and the main job for me was actually to work on the, on the, the Flash Gordon pages, which was, you know, you got to see some of these lovely, lovely 1960s 1970s pages i mean some of them weren't in the in the best of nick because they were um they were kind of uh what's possible they were kind of given to the editors at titan to to make this book and uh, i mean i had so much fun you learn a heck of a lot not even by drawing but just going over them and seeing how they've made this world and i guess some of it kind of in a way fueled a bit of what this is about nice now um, and then go on sorry Oh, no, I'm interrupting you. I, I thought I caught a natural pause and I was like, I'm just going to slide in here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but did you, uh, is that where you connected with Jonathan or had you guys uh, met beforehand? No. So, yeah, so um, Titan was where we met. I I got the wrong end of the, the stick. I turned up in a full three-piece suit, walked into, <laughs> walked into the Titan office and everyone was like, oh, you didn't really need to dress up. Yeah, I was, I was proper dressed up to the nines. And the first person I saw walking the door was Jonathan. He looked over and I think he kind of went, oh, good. Oh, goodness. Well, who's, who's this guy? He's just turned up rock, rocking a full suit. Um, and then I remember it was a lunchtime, I think the third or fourth day. After he, he had uh, forgotten I was there with tea rounds and stuff like that, he came up to me and he said, do you draw? And, you know, I was showing him my sketchbook and I was drawing Western stuff because I, I, I love Western comics. I love kind of that the European style comics. And I was drawing that. And I guess you know the rest is history Jonathan has a big affinity for for western comics as well and it just kind of blossomed from there nice um you know Jonathan you you'd worked in comics for uh some really great companies Titan and now even with Humanoids Humanoids is one of those companies that I've had a real uh, affinity for ever since they they did their uh, couple of recent ones uh, Ignited and a few others like that, where I was like, wow, talk about putting a message into a, a comic series and really like 
understand that. And actually, when I talked with uh, the gentleman behind a project called Space Bastards, I'm not sure if you've heard of that. Um, yeah, they, that's, uh, uh, is that Derek Robertson's latest title? Yeah, is yeah. it is. Yeah, I got a chance to talk with uh, a couple of other gentlemen who were behind it, and they just mentioned that applying through humanoids, going through the application process actually made their comic book better. You know, this whole idea behind like, because of the questions they were asking us, we were forced to not only answer them, but also then look at our book through that, you know, sort of lens. And each time yeah. they just felt like it really uh, improved. You know, working with such a myriad of talents, whether it's, you know, Titan, which, yeah, I, uh, I spoke with an, uh, a legendary Golden Age comic book gentleman named uh, Jack Katz. And they, uh, Titan reprinted all of his, the first kingdom. Um, yeah. And uh, so I've, that was my sort of like first awareness of just, you know, how much they're involved with and what they're doing, which makes the Flash Gordon story really work for me. But you'd been working uh, with them and had there been prior experience, interest in comics before you had started doing editing and, and was, or was 2017 around the time? Uh, no, I, I, so I came to, like American comics quite late. It wasn't something I grew up with. Um, I grew up with uh, British comics, which are very uh, like kiddie, quite child orientated. We, we, we have comics for kids. And then traditionally there's kind of been nothing to move on to um, other than, well, other than 2000 AD, which I'm massively <laughs> overlooking by forgetting that. <laughs> <laughs> But, I, but that's really it. You have like the Beano and the Dandy when you're growing up and then you have 2000 AD. Um, and 2000 AD, because of its anthology, you know, because it's an anthology, uh, I find it to be a little bit hit and miss sometimes. So I've gone through periods of buying it and then periods of, you know, not buying it because there's not much I'm interested in. And that that's the nature of it because it's an anthology. Um so I kind of progressed from the Beano and the Dandy to European comics, uh, so Asterix and Tintin. And then I, I kind of forgot about comics for years. Um, and I watched a documentary. We, uh, there's a chat show host here um, called Jonathan Ross. So there's, there's probably no reason you would know him. I doubt he's, he's transferred much to America, but he's kind of like our David Letterman. Um, and he's a massive comics fan. Um, he's also written some comics. He wrote um, a couple series for Image. Uh, one was called Turf with Tommy Lee Edwards. And he did a series called America's Got Powers, which was like a America's Got Talent, but with superpowers, um, which he did with Brian Hitch. Oh, wow. um, so he, he did this documentary uh, about Steve Ditko. And... I'd never heard of Steve Ditko, but there was something about it was partially watching it partially gave me an interest in Ditko and checking out his work. But it was also it was mostly Jonathan Ross's love for comics that really came across. And it made me think I was missing out on something. So I think the very next day I, I Googled Comic Shops London. And it threw up uh, Forbidden Planet. Uh, and that was it. I went there. I picked up a couple of issues of Spider-Man. At, at the time, it was the uh, 
Back in Black arc by Straczynski. Um, so I picked up a couple of issues of that, a few other things. And then that was it. After that, I just, you know, I, I was hooked. Um, and I eventually one trip to Forbidden Planet, I noticed they had a sign on the window saying they were looking for uh, temporary Christmas staff. So I I applied, got a job as temporary Christmas staff, and a year later I was still there. Um, and the company that owns Forbidden Planet is the same company that owns Titan Comics. So when they uh, when Titan Comics had a job advertised, the poster went up in the staff room, and that was it. I applied for it. <laughs> That's a great story. I uh, I want to check out this Jonathan Ross documentary now. I'm gonna have to uh, dig around. Yeah, for that. I can't. I think it was called Finding Ditko. I'm not quite sure. Um, it was. Okay. The whole um, gist of it was it, it was exploring Ditko's work, but also he was desperately trying to meet the Steve Ditko, um, along with actually uh, uh, one of his best friends, I gather, um, Neil Gaiman. Uh, was also along for the ride and they uh yeah their plan was to was to try and meet steve ditko that's pretty good company if you're trying to uh pull off this endeavor i mean i i would kind of feel like at some point neil gaiman has gotten to that point he can part you know waters if necessary uh i i don't know how you know <laughs> what's required of that <laughs> could be a part of my soul, but, uh, you know, I, I do feel like there's uh, that potential there. Like you, you can get some things done if you've got Neil by your side. Um, yeah. I, I reckon Neil. Yeah. I reckon he gets a lot of things done. <laughs> um, so I, I love the way that now we've, we've sort of gotten into what, what hooked you back into comedy. I grew up on them about seventh grade. I had a classmate who collected comics and, um, I grew up in a very religious household. So the idea behind comics was like, oh, they're just another gateway to sin and suffering and death. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and you're constantly being bombarded, like the outside world holds nothing but danger. But the art was gorgeous. And I I I love the idea of being a kid who ran fast. So the flash was like a natural affinity for me. And I remember for my eighth grade birthday, he got me episode number 49, issue number 49, which was actually the death of Wally West at that time. I was not aware that comic book characters came back to life at that time. So I was kind of yeah. like, what a jerk. Why would you give me 40? <laughs> why would you give me the issue when he dies? I mean, it's, it was, you know, blah, 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 blah. But otherwise I was kind of, and then he goes, no, 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 he came back. And I go, I don't understand. He's like, ah, just get issue number 50 and you'll, so I went and found <laughs> it and I, I stumble upon this idea of like, I wonder if other characters, you know, I just sort of like coins dropping quickly, slowly, probably very slowly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and that was that was for me this on and off again love affair where I couldn't always chase it because of you know chasing girls and no money or you know other reasons for no money, but uh, it was always some place that I could find you know refuge and I always get a kick out of somebody else's story about how comics were involved in their life and. and what the uh, the interest in pursuit was, but you you end up at Titan. You get the chance to uh, connect with this uh, very dapper gentleman in the uh, three piece suit. Uh, I have to say, Luke, at some point, if you go back for another on site thing, consider the top hat and or monocle. <laughs> 
And most importantly, I really feel like a cane would just sort of like send it through the roof. Now, your choice on the top hat monocle, but I think the cane is a given. You just, you know what I mean? Like got to up it every time. You just yeah. got to sort of like, you know, pile on a bit because they're going to be like, didn't he do this once before? Like, wait. That's it. I'm thinking the monocle is the way forward because I was, I was watching Umbrella Academy recently and he sported <gasps> monocle. And like, That's it. That's, I need to yeah. get one. It, my, my wife wears glasses. Everyone in my family wore glasses. I didn't. But now I've decided that should eventually, <laughs> as it will, my time come. Uh, monocle. Monocle. I'll yeah. just I, I'll alternate. You know, I'll just. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, tell me about after you've seen, you know, after the first sort of like, hey, do you work here? Um, the conversation at some point must have continued. And through that came this idea of working on Disconauts together. Tell me about how that got started. And both of your versions, if you don't mind, because that's where it always gets a bit fun. Like, well, it was my idea. Well, actually, it was. No. Um, <laughs> this is oh, no, Disconauts. Discanauts is truly the brainchild of Jonathan. Um, so it was actually funny because, uh, so he'd seen my my work and he said that he was doing uh, an anthology that he wanted to, to kickstart. And I, he gave me a two page story um, called Cold Void. And I, so I was looking at that and working on that. And he said to me, look, when, when this is done and, you, and you've got some time, I've come up with an idea just randomly. And this was, we were actually, oh, I think it was in the print room. So we were printing out a few bits and pieces. And he, he said to me, I've got a thing called, he said, bear with me. He said, it's kind of like a 70s theme. It's called, it's called Disco Noughts. And as you can imagine, as soon as I heard that, all these ideas are going in my head, right? So I had kind of this idea of the kind of Power Rangers-esque 70s crime fighting thing, a bit like the old, old like 60s kind of Alex Toss kind of style. Thought maybe that could work because that's something that Jonathan said that he would like to, to be sympathetic to. So I had that in mind. And then, you know, don't know how it happened. I think I got um, some character descriptions from him and it ended up being what it is now. And it's just, yeah, super, super fun. So that's, that's kind of how this all started. It was a few years ago. Um, it was actually the first, I think it was the first couple of weeks we were in Titan and, and it didn't really progress until really fully last year. But yeah. Jonathan, you want to <laughs> fill in some gaps there? Thanks, Luke. I, I like to say, like, he came to me with this, which then, as you said, it's Jonathan's brainchild. So then we get to go like, okay, man, so how did this develop for you, not only from inception, but to when you're like, hey, I'm going to talk to this guy, Luke, and uh, we're going we're gonna to see what we can make happen here. So um, I, I've written pretty much since as far back as I can remember. I've always written stuff as as even as a child i would write poetry or songs or stories or whatever and then once i kind of got into comics naturally my my focus sort of shifted to to trying to write comics so i wrote some really really awful <laughs> short stories um and i would send them into this there's a british small press anthology called future quake which is kind of, we were talking about 2000 AD earlier, um, kind of um, 2000 AD have these stories every now and then that are called Future Shocks. Um, and they're like a four or five page story with a twist ending. So Future Quake is basically that premise. It was the short story of a twist ending uh, originally started by a writer called Arthur Wyatt um, as basically a place for his 
future shocks that got rejected by 2000 AD that he felt were were still good and were, were publishable. Uh, so I kept sending these into a, um, a, actually, I'm going to go off on a slight tangent here. I was sending them into a guy called Dave, um, who was editing Future Quake at the time. And uh, Dave actually recently uh, passed away. Um, and it's it's been a huge loss to the uh, to the British uh, small press um, and just just British comics in general. The way he nurtured young talent and kind of helped and 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 brought people through into Future Shock, but then who went on to do bigger and better things um, with maybe 2000 AD or I I think Cullen Bunn had his first uh, thing printed in in Future Quake. So. Yeah, he was a really important man uh, in, in the British comic scene. Um, and is, is a real loss. Um, but he he actually really helped me because I was sending him these terrible stories and he was rejecting them. And one day I messaged him and said, like, what is it? What what am I doing wrong? Please, Just, you know, and he took the time to give me some pointers. And he said, like, your dialogue's really good. Your pacing's really good. You know how to format and structure a script like your storytelling is there <laughs> he said your ideas aren't very good <laughs> so that's what I had to go away and work on so and then I think the next script I handed in was almost there he came back to me and said yeah we just kind of need this tweaking and I couldn't quite figure out what to do with it so instead of tweaking that one I wrote a new one and sent that to him and he said yes yes this is it this is yes you're in um so i that was 2014 so by the time i met luke i'd had a few things printed and was now one of those comic writers that's always on the lookout for an artist just an artist that is willing to work with me that i don't have to pay a fortune that's that's what i want an artist um and luke was always doodling at his desk and yeah one day I went over looked over his shoulder and he was drawing cowboys so I immediately thought okay not only is this guy an artist but he's drawing cowboys this is this couldn't be further up my street um and yeah he's right we we're in the, the the print room slash kitchen one day and I had having taken Dave's advice to heart I you know occasionally sat down and tried to think you know what's an idea that I wouldn't normally have <laughs> and try try to stretch myself try to think in ways I didn't normally think try and come up with ideas that you know weren't the first ones to pop into my head because that's where he said I, I you know my script struggled and I I don't know what I was smoking that day but I came back in the morning and said yeah I've got this idea um, and I, I explained the whole thing, how it was this weird A-team meets the Bee Gees in space. Um, and I, I kept on, I think I was talking his ear off for like 10 minutes. <laughs> and he, he turned to me and said like, oh yeah, that, uh, that idea's really got away from you there, hasn't it? <laughs> um, but we, we spoke about it and we, we kept talking it over and then, we did some other projects together and um, we did a, an anthology for self-made hero and uh, we did a, a story together in future quake 
And I think we were both kind of preparing for it. I'd only written short stuff. I hadn't written a whole series. I hadn't even written a full issue. Um, so we were kind of building up to it and we had to, I think, get a little more under our belt before we were ready. And it just kind of so happened that Luke kind of felt he was ready as an artist and I felt I was ready as a writer around the time we went into lockdown here, which meant we suddenly had all the time in the world to do whatever we wanted. So it really was kind of kismet. It all came together. Yeah, that's quite a journey, man. I I, I, I love the things that you were bringing into it because it just reminded me, one, um, I'm glad you didn't leave off 2000 AD because that would have made it confusing sort of folding it in now. And I just remembered too, I uh, I was lucky enough about a year ago to interview Liam Sharp. Um, yes. And, and this is a guy who made his bread and butter for the longest time there. So I was thinking to myself like, yeah, I'm glad we fixed that because there's a chance uh, he could be hollering at me like, hey, Seth, <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, man. Like, hey. <laughs> Um, but I also love this like development process because it's a challenge when you're you're out there pitching, you know, when you're, you know, looking for the way into whatever industry you're approaching, you know, you're you're doing your best to knock on the door. And the fact that one, you were willing to take the risk of just saying, hi, I'm writing directly to you and I'm just asking, what is it I need to do differently? Because I feel like I'm being persistent enough and I feel like there's a lot of strength in what I'm offering. But if I'm missing somewhere, that's all I need and I'll, I'll work on it. You got the feedback from Dave, who it sounds like, as you were describing, just nurtured a lot of, you know, developing talent that way. And yeah, he really did. Yeah. You don't find that as often. Um, you know, we connected through uh, Tony Farina and... Um, he and I are both novelists. We've been through the pitching game for a long time now. Um, I only recently broke into something. I'm actually writing a comic strip online for a company called Hapsi, which is based in England. Um, okay. And it was kind of fun because now they're going to bind some stuff up. But, you know, as far as the process of getting your art into other people's hands, it's like, I mean, that fell through like a 15 weird way thing. And I'm still sort of like, okay, this is great that I'm in this, but what do I do with it? You know, and in the meantime, there's this book I'm trying to pitch. And in the meantime, and you're always trying to figure out how you can, I think of it like surfing, like you're, you're with the wave, but unless you get over that sort of point of no return, unless you can get things to tip so you're falling over yeah. the cliff, the wave goes underneath you and you're sort of like, what I do wrong? And that's always going to be the first thing in your head. Like, well, why, why didn't I get it? And yeah were able through Dave to sort of get past that point, understand where you needed to apply your work. And I think it's helpful for a lot of people to hear that it was the ideas. You had a lot of great things there, but if the ideas weren't, you know, further along, if they weren't developed, if they didn't have certain elements behind them, that's where, and, and for some people, I'm sure there isn't that consideration. Like you come up with something and you're like, I'm a genius. Look what I did. <laughs> This is so awesome. And when they don't get it, it's so easy to probably say, well, so they're stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. You know, I'm clearly a genius. When in reality, if there had just been further development and you were able to learn about that and, and know how to push yourself beyond 
whatever your original genius you thought was or whatever you thought was going to work. And then through that discovery, understand how you can strengthen the skill. You put in the time, you put in the effort. And I feel like that not only led to the projects that you were able to, to get started, but then also to turn around and say, Luke, I think I'm ready. Hey man, I got this idea. And so Disco Nuts, you know, Tell me more about it, because as I was reading through it, I was having the best time. Like, I felt like it was recognizing so many great things about genre. Um, you know, definitely the 18 vibe. But when I was reading the description, you know, if you could find them, if you could, I was like, OK, I'm not the only one who watched 18 as a child. And I'm clearly not the only one who remembered how awesome that beginning was when they would describe it to you like these are the ultimate. <laughs> but not for everybody you might not even be able to find them you know and, and as soon as you introduce that and and the the fact that we're also taking that idea but rewinding just enough into the disco era I chuckled to myself and thought okay now that we get a chance to unlock this piece of uh this story um talk to me about the uh the disco knots uh, where did this cast of do we start with the characters? Do we start with the idea? Where would you like to begin? Um, well, I think the idea was I, I've always been drawn to writing stuff that's just fun and funny, if you know, if I can. Um, and and that's kind of just naturally what I do. I, yeah, I would like to do more serious stuff. And I have done, you know, some of my, my shorts have been, well, I think they've all been fairly serious kind of sci-fi stuff and um, but yeah I just wanted to do something fun and especially by the time we actually got round to doing it um, and felt ready to do it the world was you know the world had turned upside down <laughs> right and I think what we both really wanted was to just kind of escape into this world that that, that we had created and um, and kind of hope that that's what other people would enjoy about it as well. Um, and, and we wanted to, I think there are a lot of writers of comics and film and TV that make a mistake of kind of thinking, referencing old things, referencing programs and movies that people grew up with equates to a story or humour. And what we wanted to do was have our own story and tell it our own way and have our own characters, but also pepper it with those recognisable things. So, yeah, the, the, the intro paragraph is clearly the 18. Um, it's not even like thinly disguised. It's <laughs> just the intro to the 18. <laughs> um, and that's, yeah, that's why we wanted those, you know, those little references to the things that inspired us. Um because although I was thinking about, you know, a lot of disco music and uh, the animated uh, TV shows that we'd grown up with, reading the scripts back, like it was clear that the A-Team was in there. They're this group of, you know, not quite soldiers of fortune, but pretty much. Um, so it just made sense to introduce it as that. This is, it's it's the A-Team meets the BGs in space. This is this is what you're getting. And just to kind of lay that out on the intro page with the the little bios for each character. Um 
and that kind of tells you what it is and if, if you're not into any of those things you're not going to enjoy it <laughs> but but if the a-team and kind of 80s animated series and the you know a bit of disco and the odd pun is for you then i think there's a there's something for you in there puns we're gonna get to that because they happen <laughs> And there's at least one character whose only response is, um, uh, which, which I think is, I, I love the deadpan. I love whenever you have a comedy, you know, environment and there's the straight character who's like, nope, like not funny. And everyone else is like, ah, and they, they just sort of like have a great time. Luke, when you, when you're, when you're capturing, you know, this energy and you're thinking to yourself like, okay, so how do I take all the things Jonathan just described and then, you know, turn it into art. <laughs> in the broadest of terms as well as you know this world and these characters did you have to go back and watch certain things or was this already something you folded in because every night you're watching an old episode of magnum pi charlie's angels the a-team <laughs> or um what else could i get in there maybe mod squad or uh Avengers or uh, <laughs> I'm just having some fun here. So, you know, you're taking this and you're putting it into the art. Where did you feel like the, the idea of where you wanted to influence the most or, or where you wanted to uh, accentuate when you're, when you're uh, capturing this? Idea? Well, we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with the following ads and then bring you right back to our conversation. So the idea, so the, the theme to, to be as, as true to the characters as they were to me when I read them, I'd built up a, a 70s playlist, a disco playlist, you know, Beautiful. it had Boney M, Rara Rasputin, Disco One, and all those things. Because I think for me, I, it's like when I do my art, I listen to music. So if that was the only natural way. I wasn't going to put anything on. I wasn't going to, because I can't concentrate. So I listen to music. I and mean, you have those in the background. There's a certain level of inspiration that just comes, comes from that. And the only way I can describe what I did is it was instinct. I had Jonathan's words. He gave me the little descriptions, you know, of, of the boogie and dude dynamite. And I knew that this was going to be a very wacky, fun, not, it's not taking itself too seriously kind of adventure. Right. So, and I wanted that to be as natural as possible. Um, I tend to struggle with my art with more kind of dark elements of some comic books like you know your batmans all that kind of stuff when you got the dark gritty inks my stuff was all line work colorful shapes make you know funny looking characters so i wanted to make sure that, that was what what came through in, in in my art and it was all the music I, I, there's nothing else i can say to it It was listening to disco vibes maybe maybe thinking about buying a disco ball so i could light my room up the right way but i didn't go, i didn't go that far but that's where i wanted to. i wanted to get into that vibe you know um Especially about my, so my my wife's side of the family they very much love that disco disco kind of music and, and they have a massive influence on me and they've been there for through countless things so that also helped and to know that that was something that you know I could speak to them about and they could give me give me the, the kind of recommendations of what they would listen to it was brilliant it was like a, it was like a family thing it was awesome you know sometimes it is just a family thing right mm -hmm. like <laughs> I, I love that fact that you're just able to turn around and go. So I've been listening to, uh, you know, Bee Gees and they're going to be like, oh, honey, honey, that's great. That's great. But, but have you been listening to, and you're going to go, oh, uh, apparently, well, okay, let's add it into the playlist. And, you know, the fact that you're sort of like letting them dig into their passion and, and share yeah. with you this idea. Um, 
I can say with uh, full confidence that when I was young and loved to go out dancing or could before the knee, um, it was so much fun to like find a disco theme. And as soon as they came out with the Sirius XM, yeah, I preset the Studio 54 channel on my uh, Sirius <laughs> FM whenever I'm in there because I'm just like, yes, there's something about this that blends so perfectly into being born around 77 and, and growing up with the, the tailwind of that always sort of in the, the background. And man, I had a lot of fun just sort of checking out these characters. Yeah, like I said, I want to get into the characters because I loved just sort of like going through all the fun names from The Wiz to Kitty Cat. Uh, yeah, you've got the Boogie who definitely feels like a lot of influences. Um, I get a little bit of uh, Snoop from the 90s. Uh, I get a little bit of, uh, you know, well, we'll get there. Uh, and then we've got Star Fox and Dude Dynamite. Dude Dynamite, who to me is the ultimate straight man. The guy who when everyone else is punning is just like, puns. Yeah, <laughs> puns. I don't do puns, but I notice when you guys are punning. Um, who, who do you want to start with first? Who's your favorite character to uh, for us to lead off with? Uh. <laughs> Actually, uh, let's start. What's with your one favorite that... child? Let's go that way. Like, <laughs> let's start with one that's, that that you haven't just read out because it's not actually one of the disco norms. Um, so in the the disco verse that that we've tried to create, um, there's a the kind of a, a benevolent leader of that of of, of that disco verse. Um, who kind of has a lot of these different teams, and the disco norms are only one of them. And he kind of sends them out on missions, asks them to do things. And um, so he's called the Groove uh, and he's, he's in issue one as like a hologram. Um, and he's basically, he's like Charlie from Charlie's Angels mixed with his, his, for his look, I just sent Luke a picture of Clarence Clemens from the E Street Band and said, I want this character to be the coolest man in the universe. And Clarence Clemens was, so just draw him <laughs> yeah i love the appearance of the groove i i love the feeling that like up until now you know the disco knots are are the characters that your eyes are so focused on and there's an established sort of sense of at least in my opinion when it comes to the boogie like i felt like of the group he's he's potentially the smoothest like he's got the most sort of swap but then suddenly the groove pops up and it's like oh hold on that's that's the disco king right there like you know yeah. that's the dawn of the disco this is the man we all sort of and and the best part is there's a little bit of like back and forth between everybody but as soon as the groove pops up it's like whoa check that we're gonna we're gonna dial <laughs> in we're gonna we're gonna you know catch the main man and uh, i i love that you know he's he sort of pops up at that moment and, and you get that feeling of like if anything's ever going to go bad, this is the guy they're going to rely on whenever there's a challenge. Um, and I love also the idea because uh, the disco knots feel like they're, they're part of what he's working on. But clearly, if he's as big as he is, he's got to have many teams. And it'll be interesting to see what we come across and who the disco knots get to meet in further adventures. Um, but the groove pulled these guys together. At some point, are we also going to get a feel, uh, you know, for you know, the origin of, of how each one of them, you know, came to meet the groove and, and find the groove. and uh, At the moment, um, and, and Luke's not 
incredibly happy about this i don't think <laughs> at the moment i've i've been deliberately trying to avoid any any kind of origin story um just because i kind of i liked just starting issue one with kind of the, the end of the previous adventure almost like you know with the, the idea was to kind of for issue one to start as if it could have been issue 58 so they're they're finishing up the issue for uh, the adventure from issue 57 and then they launch into the story so i i've i've kind of been avoiding that and if we kind of get to get to do more of these going forward um you'll know i've run out of ideas when i do an origin story that's <laughs> that's the point i need to need to stop well i do love that you drop us in you know at this point because i loved getting to the uh, the letters section which which made me feel like uh, that that we were part of a continuity i distinctly remember i think it was like uh, i want to say it was around 97 maybe that image i think did like a flashback series where they did like a bunch of characters who were from 1967. And uh, the concept when they would, you know, release these issues is that this was just a, a snap uh, flash of, uh, of this moment. And that what you were actually getting was, was part of a larger continuity. These characters have been around for a long time. The, the letters as you use in yours, the fans are like, hey man, back in issue 55, I noticed something kind of crazy. I wanted to go ahead and talk that up with you. Hey, yeah, I got you, man. And then I also like the fact that it's in your letters where we even get a hint of uh, trouble on the way. You know, this idea of like, hey guys, I'm just trying to reach out because some bad stuff's happening. And I was like, is this a, is this a, <laughs> a communication venue for that as well? It's like, hey, 911 isn't working. But if I go ahead and shoot a letter out to the Disco Nuts gang, um, they might be able to help stop some problem in the universe. I, I love that, that sort of playing with reality there. And uh, yeah, I, I ended up doing a fair amount of, of research. The letters page is one page, but I did more research for that page than the whole rest of the comic. Um, because it's it's like that I, I read into the whole history of it and how people um, would write in and they would originally, I think, publish whole addresses of, of people that wrote in. So then other fans would connect with them and they'd become pen pals because of the shared love of you know, Spider-Man or Captain America or whatever. Um, and a, a, a big part of that letters page came from, um, I, th I think it was in the 90s, um, there was a, a Transformers comic over here. Um, it might have been a Marvel UK thing. I'm not, not quite sure, but it was, it was a Transformers comic in the UK. And they had their letters answered by various different Transformers. Um, and it, it was oddly meta they were answering the the letters but they were answering in character and and i i knew i wanted a letters page and i really struggled with what it was going to be and then through doing some research it clicked into place and i knew exactly what i wanted to be and i knew where i want where i wanted the letters page to go and how the letters page will develop um going forward that's that's going to be a really fun thing to enjoy. I remember the letters page. Do you guys, uh, do you remember Uncle Elvis? Is that a name no. that, that rings a bell? He was a legendary, so 
it seemed that this guy collected every comic book that existed because you could pick up a Marvel title or a DC title or any other. And at some point you were going to find an uncle Elvis letter <laughs> that was written in. And this guy was everywhere and very astute, extremely knowledgeable when it came to the industry and the characters and history. But it was just sort of one of these running themes where you knew when there was an uncle Elvis letter, like you were going to stop and see what this guy had to say. Cause he was everywhere. And he did that thing that nobody else could seem to accomplish was he got through the door, like getting a letter in and published on the page. It doesn't happen for everybody, but with uncle Elvis, like the guy somehow <laughs> had the magic, right? <laughs> uh, so I loved when I was reading that and I, I just kind of thought to myself, man, you don't come across a lot of letters pages anymore. It's, it's just not something that's, that's offered in a lot of comics. Um, I remember when Milestone did it, uh, they, they gave you a free little card and like the plastic bag that came with it. And I loved yeah. reading the letters page because he was like, yeah, I'm the editor. And uh, you know that card you got? Don't frame it. I want you to put it <laughs> in your bicycle tires between the spokes. I want to hear it. <laughs> and I, I love the fact that there was this like clear conversation that the, the writers felt they were having with the fans and fans were like taking this in. You know, you, you really felt like you were being spoken to directly. And also like you were um, able to be part of a conversation, even if you weren't printed there on the page, you could yeah. agree or disagree with the person who was writing. And I mean, it, it was such a fun way to, to sort of engage with. Uh, so I, I, I love the potential behind it. I, I love the meta quality that I saw coming in and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what else we got on the way. Um, and I'm also really interested in the fact of how much time and research that you put in for that. Like, you know, the awareness of, hey, if you're going to do this, you want to do it in a conscientious way. You want to know what you're doing when you're doing this and you want to respect the history that goes with it. Um, a lot of great potential there, man. I really love that idea. Yeah, it, it was, I, I think something that I, I just said, you know, oh, let us page. But yeah, it was it was as I researched, I realized kind of how important they had been at a certain point in time. Um, and we yeah, we definitely kind of, you know, wanted to attempt to capture some of that. And also just, you know, generally, we wanted to make the whole thing feel like a 70s comic, um, which is why we, we have an advert in there as well. Um, just yeah, we wanted we wanted that vibe. Yeah, the uh, the uh, get bigger, get stronger ad. That was awesome. <laughs> it, it, you know, I was like, okay, at some point, are we going to do, you know, the, it's going to be a lot of work. So I understand if you don't, but you know, that page where it was like 60 ads, like, you know, get the uh, spy see-through glasses and get this and sell these and uh, yeah. that, that <laughs> I always love it when you get the old reprints or something and you flip to that back page, you're like, yep, ah. Sometimes you, when you're bored, you just try and read every ad because you read the yeah. issue five times and now you're. So uh, again, you know, we, we've talked about the groove, but, you know, we'll, we'll get to all of these characters as their origins are one day developed whenever Jonathan runs out of ideas. Uh, but we, we do get, you know, some great introductions to the boogie who, like I said, feels like he's the coolest cat until we meet the groove. And for the most part, you know, he, he comes across as, as his description says, the coolest cat. Uh, anything to say about, you know, either the basis of the boogie or uh, any other elements of his character that you're like, hey, you, you'll get a kick out of this. He's, he's definitely like the, the cool leader of the group. He's, he, there's a lot of hopefully uh, maybe Hannibal from the A-Team in there, but also 
it was kind of that it was kind of me asking myself you know those um I, i'm not quite sure when they're in, like that well i think they are still being released sporadically but the kind of 80s early 90s version of the kiss comics and yeah. <laughs> um, so what if it, it was kind of what if snoop dogg had done a family friendly comic <laughs> in the early 90s uh, and that that's basically where the boogie comes from that's i mean I, I think you can really tell in his look but that's where he's supposed to be he's like yeah is is snoop but if he'd been family friendly all ages uh, and part of a superhero team luke uh, what was it like bringing him to life uh putting him on the page so he he was the one i struggled with the most besides dude dynamite i think he was the one i struggled with the most i, I I got this page of, of what Jonathan wanted, you know, he's the coolest cat in the galaxy. You know, no one can jive with his mellow, all that kind of stuff. And I loved it. Um, and then, and then I saw, he said he wanted like, is it, is um, Snoop Dogg's character Huggy Bear in? in no, that's a completely different person. Oh, Starsky and Hutch. Sorry, Starsky and Hutch. Who? Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah. You're right. In the remake, you mean? Yes, in the remake. Yeah, yeah not in the original. Yeah, right. yeah. But in the remake, yeah. he, he said, I want him to, I want him to have a vibe like that, that kind of feel. And I, you know, I brought him up and I, I used, as I reference, I think as you, you can definitely tell. Um, so that was, I think, I wanted him to look or at least feel like Snoop Dogg because I thought that was that was a good aesthetic <laughs> to have. But he he kind of developed into something very different, and, and it took I would say it took a good three years, really, two two maybe two years, really, to get that that look right. You know, I, I we workshopped it together. I made him look too too friendly I made him look too angry I made him too big I made him too small all these kind of so we really we really went back and forth with this one and it was in that time where I was, I was getting in my head like you know am I am I ever going to get this right and I think and I said if I nail if I nail the boogie the rest will just fall into place and that's exactly what happened I just he just came to me one day I was I think I was I was sketching at my previous job and I just a message Jonathan said how about this and I sent him a picture just a very rough line drawing of it and he was like yeah that's it he said straight away that was that was what he wanted and it was perfect and then you know pick the colors I had to pick the purple and the purple looks really really smart and it just kind of developed from there it was yeah I mean it was fun but it's intense <laughs> well I love that it established kind of a baseline for you too this idea of mm -hmm. like look I get this guy down and I'm gonna you know I'm, I'm gonna be dialed in at this point yeah. Everything else is going to just sort of be like a, an extension, an echo or a comparison. And I love that you mentioned that he's, you know, he was the hardest next to Dude Dynamite. What, what was the big challenge behind Dude Dynamite? Because I think it's a great way to talk, uh, enter into talking about that character. So Dude was kind of, when, when you look at him, he's kind of, he's a bit ambiguous in the, in the character sense. I didn't reckon, most of them, when I read the character, I had an idea of do I want him to be short, tall, what kind of shape do I want him to like? So Boogie's rectangular, he's long and he's long and thin, right? You've got the Wiz who's short, he's a bit squat, but he's more square. You've got Star Fox, who's also short, but she's a bit more triangular shaped, if you if you can see it. You've got the you know the, the way her outfit is. I just didn't know what to do with dude, because originally I had him as a big, you know, like a yeah, I can't remember the next name, but the guy from Green Mile, you know, the the, the big guy. I had it oh. like that, you know, with, with a with a bit of a an earring kind of in that kind of disco vibe, and then Jonathan didn't like Michael Clark no, Duncan. Sorry, I'm just going to chip in with the guy's name. You yes. got it. That's good. Thank you. Um, yeah, so that that was kind of what I had, and then 
you know, jump on it doesn't really doesn't really wash with me. So I was like, okay, we'll go back to the drawing board. I said, do you have anything in mind? Because I'm struggling. And he said, I was thinking maybe maybe something like a, a John Ligazimo from uh, Romeo and Juliet, the the that bat film. The Baz Luhrmann yeah, version, right? The Baz Luhrmann <laughs> version, the, the modern version. I was trying to, I was trying to say. Yeah. He said that. So, I, yeah, that's the one. And I looked at him. I was like, okay, I can, get, I get it now. I've got this. I've got this idea. You know, he's got a longer forehead. He's got a slick back hair. He's got a more, um, I said, I think more like a, a Latino Mexican style look to him. It's not. I wouldn't necessarily pin him down as that, but he has that vibe about him. You know, he's he's big, but he's not too big. He's going to be the one that towers over. And I need him to look like you said straight laced very very down the line you know you, you're only going to get one version of him and that's him every time so and that and that just kind of and then it happened from there and then that, he was actually the last character that that i had uh, that we had created and you know the first one was the boogie that was the most difficult overall the, the, the last one dude was the most relieving to do because then I knew I had a team to work with and that was and that was it and then I could say once I did that as I could start this comic um because going back to to speak of Jonathan you know the reason it didn't happen straight on is personally as an artist I knew I wasn't ready Jonathan had all these these notes he wanted to hit these these comics these programs that he wanted to to kind of harken back to and I just wasn't there I couldn't quite fathom I couldn't see it in my mind clear enough I had ideas but it wasn't working and then it came to beginning of lockdown, had these characters, and I thought, I can now see this, I call it Tuniverse. I can see this Tuniverse open up in front of me, and it's, an, it's a very different ball game when that happens. Oh, man, that's Sorry. huge, yeah. There's so many great elements about Dude Dynamite. Like, I also feel like, kind of like the boogie, he's got, um, he's got an, in, like, you can't really place his age, but he feels older, he feels a little bit wiser. Feels yeah. like, you know, the kind of grizzled, been around the block, seen a few things. Um, but then also, like, very unique style. Um, and I think the Leguizamo, you know, Prince of Cats uh, example right there is a really good one. Um, and the Wizard for me feels like, or the Wiz, sorry, feels like, you know, classic, the, the, the big brain. You know, the always tinkering, the problem solver, the, uh, the, the guy who can put it, put it all together, basically. Um, did... Does he was he as easy to put on the page as as I just described him, or were there some challenges also about like what are you trying to uh, best emulate when you're thinking about those characters as you've seen them represented before? So the Wiz was the Wiz was pretty easy, I think for me when when we started in this, uh, we did uh, well we started a script called uh, Hunt for the Disco Strangler, and when I drew that, all the other characters were kind of like there or thereabouts, but the whiz was nailed down from there. You had the, the ginger mullet in my head. You know, he had the kind of open collar shirt. He was short. He had really tight flared trousers. I had, I had that down and that was fun. I, I kind of took a bit of a, it was a bit of a Chucky from Rugrats. By that kind of that sealed it for me. I remember seeing it again. I was like, that, you know, that kind of square, that square do that he has for his head and, and the big glasses. I, I have to tap into that because I, I don't want to, I know it's a bit of a stereotype with the big glasses and whatnot, but I thought, how can I make this different from from everyone else? I need to make him. I want the Wiz not just to be as you know, as you find out in the in the book, the, the IT you know, admin, the IT nerd. You want him to be his own character. You know that that can kick ass when it comes to comes to when chips are down, he he can bring the fight. 
Oh, yeah. It's the Wiz who, uh, you know, kind of surprises everyone in, in, in some great ways. And I'm not here to be the spoiler guy. Uh, you'll you'll have to read the book for it. I, I loved it because as you're going through the, the story, each character for me was a lot of fun. But also the fact that we've got this, the, uh, the ultimate love machine who's just sort of tearing through the group you know, not really caring, you know, clearly just like gender doesn't make a difference. Sexuality is just something that uh, affects everyone and his powers and ability to seduce each one of them in it in a scene where I love that they've all got this sort of like, uh, what is that great hypnotized sort of swirl going on in the eyes? Yeah. Like, He's the best. He's amazing. I have never. Um, <laughs> and I also love that we kick that off. I believe, is it Star Fox who is the first to be yes. seduced? Yeah. Right. Um, and greatest pilot in the universe. <laughs> I mean, there, there, there's a lot of comparisons out there. But there's also some great 70s references from that time. You know, you think of like Han Solo. I'm the best kid. Uh, you think of Starbuck for me, which was always a big one from Battlestar Galactica. You know, everybody relied on Starbuck. Starbuck's the guy who's kind of a loose cannon, but he gets it done in the end, you know, and, and those sort of fun references. Uh, Star Fox have some influences from uh, those great pilot legends, or, or is there a bit more of a, you know, specific take? It's probably the kind of vaguest for me uh, like th there's, there's a lot of clear influences for all the others um you were just talking about the whiz he was he's i mean basically just a carbon copy of brains from the thunderbirds um he you know he's the <laughs> intelligent one he solves the problems um but Star Fox, yeah there's 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 no real influence i don't think that i can pinpoint but she was going to be the pilot and they're not just going to have a pilot. They're going to have the greatest pilot because, you know, it just has to be. Um, so, yeah. And, and I think I, we, I, I kind of felt like the team needed um, the kind of face from the 18. It, it needed the, the pretty one, the honey trap. Um, so yeah, that's what she is. She's, she's the greatest pilot in the galaxy is the most important thing but also she's the yeah attractive one the one that can kind of lure in villains nice i i'm also curious because it's interesting when there's not some clear-cut defined thing that that someone does or says in, in a story early on but that can be later developed like uh i always love serenity uh alan tuddick's you know take where you, you get a feel that he's pretty good you know, for the most part, but then there's that leaf on the wind moment where you suddenly snap into this guy and you're like, oh, oh, okay. A little cocky here. You know, you're about to take on some and, and you love that that's like, uh, you know, there's going to be character defining moments for all of these characters throughout the series. And, and getting that, to see. Yeah. That's the plan. Like the issue one is the Wiz's issue. It's where we kind of see what the Wiz is made of. And issue two is dude's issue. And three and four are the boogie. And as we kind of go through, if, if we get to, you know, continue with it, each character will, you know, you'll see more of them and they'll have that defining moment. And um, yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of, they're all like fleshed out. It's just that you can't really get that across in one, you know, one right. single issue. So the, the issue one was establish the team and kind of throw 
whizzed to the forefront and then throughout the other issues uh the, the, the other characters will will kind of take on a, a, a more substantial role that that's always fun to look forward to i mean i think that when you have a first issue that sort of sets up all the other characters but then allows wiz to come through and, and have that shining moment you you know that there's potential for these other characters who you've already caught you know felt an interest in because of what you've seen from them so far and then through Wiz, you know that they all have other things that will be expressed later in mm -hmm. future issues. So a lot to look forward, you know, I, I think for that. Really quick, Luke, just uh, about Star Fox before I move on to another character. You know, when creating, when crafting, was there, uh, where does this one fall on the hard to easy um, to capture that and was, put down? It was more towards the hard end. I think uh, Jonathan gave me some images in Star Fox. So like I said, it wasn't as, as flesh as the other ones. And he gave me some very funky 70s style uh, fancy dress images, like your stock images of people wearing that. So I want it to be a, be a bit like that kind of, a bit out there, a bit crazy. So that's what I used. Um, it's, at this point, I was midway through the creation. So it kind of just came naturally to me, kind of that she drew herself for for want of a better term so she you know it kind of that happens I wasn't really thinking too hard but I just knew I just knew as soon as I saw I saw the face as soon as I saw the eyebrows when I was drawing the eyebrows I was like that's it I know I know I'm on to a winner so she's got that gut feeling yeah I, I I definitely get um just the tiniest bit of vibe of uh Judy Jetson's maybe cooler sexier smarter uh -huh. friend um <laughs> Especially with the, you know, with the design of the, uh, the, the shoulders there. And then with the, the style of the glasses, like, yeah, I get not only a pilot vibe, but it also takes me back to some of those fun. Uh, it, it was like 80s, 90s comics like Phantom Lady or those who had like the big sort of goggles where you were like, there's a purpose behind that, right? It's not just a style thing. And as a pilot, you can only imagine how... You know, I mean, come on, you, you think of classic aviators, literally named aviators, like, you know, sunglasses <laughs> are the vibe, man. It's how it goes. Um, and then also we've got Kitty Cat. Kitty Cat, um, I love her expression on this, you know, for anyone reading through this book, you're going to love that you get this, you know, introduction to all the characters on a nice little splash page where they're all sort of roll call. And, uh, and Kitty Cat's pretty cool. You know, the idea that... Uh, she seems like the action, one of the action oriented, like always down to, yeah, let me, let me show off my newest judo, whatever the seventies, you know, martial arts type fighting style thing was. So um, bringing her to page, not only as a character written, but also as John, who wants to take the first stab there? <laughs> so yeah, she's actually, she's the first disco norm because the, the first, um, the first idea I had for a, for a series I wanted to write, a series of comics, um, it was awful, but it was called Kitty Cat and the Serpents of Death. And it was supposed to be like a, a grindhouse movie uh, kind of vibe. Um, and Kitty, as Luke has drawn her, that, that's how she was intended in the original idea I had years ago, that she looks pretty much exactly as 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 i hope and um, and this uh, yeah kitty cat and the serpents of death was set in a post-apocalyptic london but if as if london or the world had ended in the 70s so they were still stuck with that 
seventies disco vernacular. Um, and so I kind of took that and said, this wasn't actually a very good idea, uh, but what can I use from it? Um, and I took the central character of Kitty and I knew I wanted to keep the seventies vibe and I dropped everything else <laughs> and then created the team around her. Uh, and she is, she's that one. She's, you know, she's kicking ass. She's, that's who she is. She's, she's, yeah, she, she's not especially, you know, a pilot. She's intelligent, but not as intelligent as, uh, as the whiz. She's the one that's going to take down the bad guy. Luke, anything about yeah. bringing her, uh, you know, because interesting story there, you know, the idea of like, she's the one who carried over when you were capturing uh, Kitty Cat. Anything uh, details you want to share about putting her on the page? So for me, I remember Jonathan. He actually listed. He, he specified that Kitty Cat was the one that he that he wanted me to to get as close to his vision. Usually, Jonathan's quite good. He'll let me take the reins where possible. You know, so if I have an idea, he'll let me run with it. And if he doesn't like it, he'll tell me. But otherwise, he'll say that I trust you to do what you do. With this one, I, it was it was less so. You know, Jonathan had his idea of what he wanted. I, I at that time, I didn't know that it was part of a, a an earlier story idea. So I thought, always thought the boogie was the first one they thought of. Um, so for me, it was just making sure that I hit the points that Jonathan wanted. So I remember we worked, worked on this again. Um, but I also, for me, I think the most important thing was I didn't want to kind of be overtly sexual. Like you could fall into the trap of, you know, drawing big boobs and a big bum and all that kind of stuff. And, and then just taking away from the character in that sense. For me, I wanted, you know, I wanted her to have that that kind of retro look, but I wanted it to be, you know, you wanted to dive deeper when you looked at it. It wasn't about, she wasn't the, the sexy one, or, you know, for, she wasn't the sexy one or the one that was meant to be like that. She was meant to be the no-nonsense, I'll kick your ass kind of character. And that's what I wanted. I didn't want anything to take away from that. And it's, it's always kind of fun what the direction is to demonstrate strength. You know, I, I got yeah. a big kick out of, you know, how many different times I mean recently the the Snyder Cut was a big deal when it when it came out and one of the things that, that caught me immediately was you know the the women from Themyscira there were those who were like horse people but then there were also these like immense bodybuilder type characters like you know you want to have an awareness of if you want this character to be strong then is it about sexy strong or it is about real life strength you know is it about the yeah. ability that if someone's going to be a fighter there's a certain way fighters look not not that all are typecast into one thing, but to a certain extent, there's going to be things that you, they're going to need. And, and having righteous curves is not always a key to being an excellent fighter. Um, so like thinking about that realistically, I think is really important. Uh, I, I love so much about reading through this book. I was having a blast as I was going through. Um, I've, I've mentioned that there are puns. You have to discover them for yourself. It's not my, my job to pull out the gems and sort of be like, here, here's all the good stuff. You know, here's all the stuff that, you know, you could discover, but I'm going to ruin it for you. That, that's there. And of course, we've already talked about, you know, the dude, we, we've talked about how, uh, you know, we've got the group. I also love that there's a character who appears to be joining the team based on that first adventure. And I'm curious uh, if that's intentional, if, uh, if it's just uh, the whiz is sort of like buddy, or uh, if there's if there's more in store, um, but also with that, you know, that's what I noticed, and I always love when I'm doing a conversation to think that I know what I'm talking about, or I got it all covered. 
but there's always a chance I miss something. There's a question I didn't ask. There's something that you're like, man, no one ever asked me that. It would be so great if I could just tell people about this. So I'd love to open the floor on that, not only about the character I just mentioned, but also what I might've missed or uh, what you want to make sure people know. And I just didn't ask the right question because I'm okay with that. <laughs> I think uh, for starters, yes, that, that character does, that, that does appear further. Yes. Because <laughs> I think it's adorable, but I also love the potential of adorable to dangerous and snap of the fingers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also, I mean, it's not something I'm going to sit down and explain because I think some things, you know, you need to you need to get from the comic yourself. But it's, I think it's very easy to look at what we've done and go, oh, this is a silly kind of disco nonsense of a comic you know and and it is on one level it is exactly that it is silly it is largely nonsensical <laughs> and it's very disco but but I, I feel like there's also there's a lot we tried to put into it in terms of you know how the story is constructed and kind of if you look hard enough the message you can take away from it um, even, I mean, and, and, and it wasn't really a deliberate thing that we worked hard on, but even if you, I noticed I just said hard on, but <laughs> 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 we didn't work that hard on <laughs> doing it, but um, like it, it just noticed the, the makeup of the group, um, like, which isn't something that was intentional, but I, I think you can kind of, see a, a deeper message there and a deeper meaning to it and then there, there's more going on than just kind of the silly that's on the surface but if you just want to take the silliness that's on the surface that's fine i'm fine with that as well and um, also I, sh I should say that my um, a lot of my original ideas from the for the characters were i felt like they were really good ideas and also the kind of the way i wanted it drawn uh, I was looking back at those old cartoons of like He-Man and Bravestar and they have a very kind of stilted animation style. They're quite static. Everyone's almost like robotic sometimes in the way that they move. Um, and I, I kept saying to Luke, okay, they're going to look like this, but also like it's got to be really static. Like I, I don't want a huge amount of movement or expression <laughs> in the whole comic and he quite rightly said well no <laughs> for starters here's my designs and I said like okay yeah that is much better and this is the way I'm going to draw it and again I was like okay yeah that is that is much better than I than I had intended so although you know he says like it's my like brainchild and it was my original idea but it it couldn't be what it is without the both of us it is is a mixture of of the pair of us and with any other artist and i i do quite literally mean any other artist like you could have put me with some legendary comic artist and i'm certain i wouldn't have loved their work on this as much as i love luke's work on it like i think he was the ideal person to do this with me how do you answer that, that <laughs> right one of the one of the most difficult conversations I had to have was pulling Jonathan aside and saying, "I don't think I can do this going on the justice that you wanted to." You know, the the 
the 60s anime or the, you know, the, the, the animation style that he wanted to go for, I would say the Alex Toth kind of, not only so he's jilted, but it's more rigid, right? So my, my drawing, the way that it's going is more fluid. I want it to be, you know, there's physical comedy in this as well. And I want to tap into that and, you know, expressions, everything. And that, I mean, I remember being nervous bringing that up, but he was so open with it. And he just said, yeah, just do, do what you need to do and we'll get this done. And then that's kind of how it's happening. It's, it's just been a labor of love, really. It's been a great project. Let's just hope that it continues. Cause I mean, we've got more ideas in the bank. It's just being able to get them out to the world. So let me lead off with that and, and say, okay, let's talk about getting this into the hands of people who are out there in the world and can be a part of this. What, what is the access point? How can they make sure that one, they get their grubby mitts on it and to how they can help, you know, make this a possibility for the future. Uh, now funding the first issue. Um, it started on June 1st, ends on July 1st. Uh, we're over halfway there already. Um, but yeah, we need that push to get us the rest of the way. So any help is appreciated. Um, so if you search for Disco Noughts on Kickstarter, also we're on Twitter as at the Disco Noughts. So if you can just find us on Twitter and every single tweet will have a link to the Kickstarter <laughs> if you're struggling to find it. And when it comes to anyone who might want to follow up with either of you, I mean, one of my favorite things is when we're talking about craft, you guys are giving ideas, offering insights that anyone who is pursuing either writing or art is going to hear and say, yeah, yeah, but I have more. Like, I, I, want, to, I want to know more or I love what you're talking about. I'd love to follow up with you. Is there a favorite platform that you guys like to engage um, with anyone who would be interested in asking questions? talking to you about your craft or disco nuts or anything in between? Um, before this, there was no favorite platform because neither <laughs> of us are very good at social media. Now I am never off of Twitter. So that is the yep. best place to catch us. Um, yeah. our, our Twitter account is, is where you will find me pretty much all day, every day, trying to, trying to spread the word. And I'm, awesome. I'm the one behind, uh, behind the Instagram stuff. So I, I prefer that more as a, as a visual platform. So I can always be found on that uh, behind Disco Nought. So I've, I've got that on my on my phone. I'm always, I'm always there, but also on my own personal one as well. So Perfect. Yeah. Um, so let me just say thank you both for coming on and talking about uh, such a fun story, but also as you described, one with deeper meanings. I mean, the meaning I took away from The Wiz was don't underestimate, don't try and pigeonhole and be prepared for the possibility that there's more to people than meets the eye. And that could actually be the thing that saves your life, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you clearly got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to the rest of you out there, if you didn't get it, don't worry. They just told you how you can reach out to Luke and Jonathan and let them know. I'll be completely honest right now, I cannot promise that I will not immediately as I'm done recording this outro go off and listen to some of my favorite disco hits or remember with fondness the ways that they occurred in my life and how I am lucky enough to remember them as such. I loved every minute of talking with Jonathan Stevenson and Luke Balmer Kemp about this amazing project they're working on, the great cast of characters, and all the things they have in store. Keep in mind all the details regarding their Kickstarter are available in my liner notes. 
and all the ways to reach out to them as well. I enjoyed every minute of this, and as I like to say, I look forward to another opportunity to find and share another great story with you right here.